The Elite Series is here. Fantasy Fishing is back. We've also got so much more from the Bassmaster Open at Lake Washita here on the Inside Bassmaster Podcast, episode 165. I'm your host today, Ronnie Moore. My host, co-host, as usual, Kyle Jesse is joining me. We're both in the state of Arkansas because you got a little bit of a layover from Washita before you go to Toledo Bend, but we're excited. We're, we've been forecasting the Elite Series kickoff, and now it is here. We've got five tournaments in a in a, a six-week stretch, counting all the Opens. But it is Bassmaster tournament season, and Toledo Bend is expected to be a big one to kick off the year. Yeah, I've uh, I've been checking all my Snapchat memories for the last <laughs> I don't know three to uh, to five days, and it's all been from previous previous Elite Series tournaments uh, that are going on right right about this time, and it it's getting me excited uh, to get back on the road and uh, and cover the first Elite Series tournament that down there at Toledo Bend, setting up to be a slugfest without a doubt. Um, I feel like we always hype up these events to be slugfest, <laughs> but I really, really, truly do think based on a lot of factors that uh, Toledo Bend is going to start the season off right for us. Yeah, I, I'm glad that we gave all the anglers the Super Bowl at home and Valentine's Day at home because normally they've got Super Bowl on first day of practice of the season and Valentine's Day falls um, you know, on like the uh, final official day of practice or the day off, you know, the meeting day. So I'm glad that they uh, all got to do that at home before heading out. It seems like it's been like a really long, you know, off season. Some guys got their boats really early. Some guys got their boats last week in January. So some are rushing and some have been waiting. I guess we gave them an extra month so they could put three or four more graphs on their boat than they normally would. All kidding aside, uh, that is one of the big topics that we'll talk about throughout the year, but not on this episode of the podcast, hopefully. Um, but Toledo Ben, man, to set the scene, let's do our own little version of Bassmaster Live for Unlock the Lake. I just did the live well with Tommy Sanders the other day and obviously previewing getting the numbers for Toledo. The place is huge, 186,000 acres. It's like the fifth largest man-made body of water in the United States. Uh, it's gigantic. Uh, a lot of big creeks at the south end on the Texas side that we know have factored. A couple big creeks up north on the Louisiana side that have factored. So every single bit of it is fishable water. One big thing that we think about is water temperature. What kind of vegetation or cover are we going to have? And water level. And all of those things are trending in the right direction. Water level is about as full as it's ever been in the last few years. I think full pool is 172. That's what Caleb Summerall a huge shout out to him. He's been keeping me uh, track for if there could be a shallow bite on on what the water level is. And normally they may keep it lower just for those spring rains, but they have allowed it to fill up some more uh, over the last few weeks. We've had snow and ice and rains. So Toledo's filled up a little bit. It's just under full pool, which means it's basically high in everyone's mind. All of that overgrowth on the shore is now going to have water on it, and the lake now has grass returned to it in certain areas. So I'm interested to see how the grass plays. And the last factor we said, we talked about water level, vegetation and cover, and then the last recipe for a great tournament is rising water temperatures. I think the lows each day are in the you know low 40s, maybe mid 40s, and highs are in the mid to upper 70s at times. Um, you know, maybe just the low 70s, but. We're going to have warmer days, still cool nights, but it's going to progress and trend that way. I've noticed this, Kyle. We always think about water temperature and um, uh, air temperature when it relates to the spawn and moving fish shallow. But I'll just say we've got the sun out a little bit longer as these days start to grow a little bit. And then also they don't need to go up shallow right now 
to just spawn. That's the first thing we think about shallow fish this time of the year is if they make that move to spawn, they can make their move up there and be in the ditch mouse. They can be on the flats outside of where they're going to spawn, but they could be aggressively pre-spawn feeding. And uh, I expect to see some of that. And who knows if it does get warm, somebody might catch one on bed at the end of the week. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it really is setting up to be a uh, fantastic tournament. You know, as you were, you were setting the scene there, I, I thought back, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, growing up in central Arkansas, I've fished Toledo Bend a handful of times, uh, even in college events, Bassmaster College events. And I can remember back, and and when I say this, I'm far, far from an expert. I've only been there a handful of times. <laughs> but the college Normally on the worst weather you go. Yeah, right. Well, the college event that we fished there was was similar time of the year as a little bit earlier, you know, but the water temperatures are still, you know, warm enough to where you think, you know, there probably got to be some fish up on the bank, like fishing shallow traditional stuff. But it was the same exact scenario you mentioned, you know, there's there's nothing to throw at. There's nothing on the bank. Like you see something that looks good and you go fish it and it's like this is like six inches deep. And there's nothing, nothing here. Uh, so just the thought of there being cover in the water, you know, the water temperature um, or excuse me, the water levels being right to where there's actual shallow vegetation, shallow uh, cover uh, definitely will will allow the anglers to, uh, you know, have more variety. You know, I don't think it's going to be a, an issue where um, everybody has to fish off the bank or, you know, at least that's what I'm hoping for. Um, and, you know, I, I actually got to talk to Daryl Gleason at the Bassmaster Open there at Lake Washita. Uh I didn't even ask him about it, didn't even bring it up, but he came over to me and said, dude, it's going to be nasty. And I said, Toledo Ben? He said, mm, it's going to be nasty. And then as he was walking away, he said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if guys are looking at him by the end of the tournament. That's great. And, you know, from where my mind was at, you know, expectation-wise from the tournament, just being time of the year and everything else, I, I that never even registered in my mind to be a possibility. But when Daryl Gleason you know, the, the king of Toledo Bend, if you will, at least the modern king, um, tells you that you're like, really? Like, that is really exciting. So, uh, I w you know, if nothing else, for the sake of fantasy fishing, it, it got me to thinking, maybe I should change my team a little bit more than, uh, than, than what I had it to start with. But uh, we'll get into that later, I imagine. Yeah, and I can imagine some of these fish over the last few weeks, you know, it was probably, I don't know, the first week of February. Uh, maybe the last week of January when we had that terrible weather here for a full week and, you know, those fish were full winter pattern. But as soon as it got, you know, water started, fresh water started pouring in with all the rains that we had after that, um, you know, the water level started to rise. If those fish moved up to the, to the ditches in the creeks or on the flats in those main big creeks, and they're just sitting there waiting, you know, maybe they're not ready to pull back off. They can tolerate the current conditions and stay where they're at. And all it takes is a few good days of weather, and those fish don't have to swim from the main lake. They're they're in the creek. They can just push up there and and get it over with real quick. And so you, who knows? But I I do feel we will see a variety of things. It's not just the eternal optimist in me that it's not going to be ten guys forward facing sonar. I I think even if we saw them forward facing, it'll be in a ditch over some hydrilla or some other grass. And it might be a lipless or a chatterbait or, or something um, in those areas. Who knows? Um, and But I do know one thing that we saw. We've seen guys on live at the far reaches north of the lake. We've saw, seen guys all the way at the dam. A lot of water that factors in place. You think about Lake Washita. If you looked at the map, that looks like a very big fishery. And I said it, it's way bigger in my mind than 40,000 acres. But that means... Washita fits from the dam to like six mile Creek 
on Toledo, and and there's four more of those to make it 180,000 acres. And the difference in 165, 166, you know, six to seven feet low versus 172 when it's full pool, that is a ton of water that has entered the body of water. So I'm excited to have that. And one huge thing that you'll enjoy, you don't have to be scared navigating. With it being close to full pool, you don't have to be strictly confined to the boat lanes. It's ideal to do that, but you don't necessarily have to do that. I remember the last time I was on Toledo Bend, we were able to run willy-nilly wherever we wanted, and that was in the summer. Uh, actually, I've been to Toledo Bend once or twice since then for college events where I was strictly prohibited to the boat lanes, and the trees were about 20 feet above my head. This time, they won't be so high, um, and and you can run around a little bit quicker, more efficient, especially if it gets windy. So Toledo's really excited. We hadn't been there since 2017 for the Elite Series, and we've never been there on the Elite Series in the month of February. We've been there uh, in April, May, I think June, and like August. You know, like we've been there. And then for the Open last year, we were there in April. We had an Open in 2019 that Daryl Gleason won in January. And he made the 2020 Classic from that, I do believe. And we've had a lot of college events in January and February there. So we do have a little bit of tangible experience. But I do feel like those were for sure cold winter tournaments and we're out of that phase and it's going to be like exclusively pre-spawn and there will there still will be fish caught out in the abyss uh, of the timber. I think I covered a college event there where Cody Huff, that was where, you know, he was jigging a spoon in the timber, turned around and won the Toyota Series the next week as well. So uh, we've seen it in all facets and we've also seen it when it's like 25 feet low. I think when Rojas beat Swindle by an ounce, it was very, very low there one summer. So we've seen Toledo a lot. We just have never seen it at this exact situation, which is why I'm excited. Yeah, no question. Uh, it's certainly setting up to uh, to be a slugfest. I, I, I'm sitting here wondering, and I was going to ask you this. Obviously, just got uh, done the Lake Washtenaw for the Open, and we saw a fish on day one just shy of 10 pounds. And then on day two, we see a fish just shy of 11 pounds. And that's like Washita. Like we're talking about like a place that certainly doesn't have the the number of that caliber fish. And now we're going to Toledo Bend a week later that has plenty and plenty of 10 pounders, 10 pounders that I can remember reading a, a Bassmaster article one time, you know, long time ago for Mark Davis. And he had mentioned that, you know, <laughs> maybe not with forward pacing sonar now, but um, you know, that fish on Toledo Bend will die of old age before they ever see a bait because yeah. there are so many, you know, so many trees and so much cover and so many places those fish can basically just hide again, maybe not anymore, but um, you know, it makes me wonder how many 10 pounders are we going to see? Like, cause I don't think it's unreasonable at all for each day other than maybe the last day, like we see a fish pushing 10 pounds and it might not have to be over 10 pounds, but like, you know, that eight and a half to 10 pound range. Like I think every day, there's a better than average chance we will see a fish be brought to the stage, uh, you know, of that caliber. And then when you get, you know, obviously 100 and 103, 104 of the best anglers in the world out on a body of water, who's to say that nobody, you know, somebody doesn't catch a 12 pounder, you know, just a, a mammoth fish. Um, so that to me got me excited because seeing um, 
um, you know, Gutramount's 10, 14 or whatever it was at Washita, seeing that fish in person, I know you got to see it as well. <laughs> that just like, like gets you freaking excited. Like you just see that fish and you're like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like, it just, it just got me freaking jacked up the other day seeing that fish. Uh, and, you know, thinking of, of what could possibly happen to Toledo Bend, um, the options as far as 10 pounders are, uh, are about endless, especially with, uh, you know, the pre-spawn being, you know, as prominent as it will be. Yeah. It, it, what was really neat too, is to see, like, it was great to be at Washita Thursday, Friday. I went down to, to, to be a part of the tournament gang, you know, so to say, and I did some interviews for the live show and stuff. Felt like I was back in my home on the, you know, with the, with the grinders out there. And I was so glad that I was shooting something with Andrew Hargrove. I get up on the dock. I'm like, Zach, you catch him today? He's like, yeah, I got like 22. I was like, dang, good job. And he's like, and I'm like 11 pounder. I was like, like for one fish. And I, and so I was like, I sprinted up the dock and was like, Kyle, where's Grant? He's shooting behind the scenes. Where's he needs to get down there. And then we, uh, we walked down there together. And then I was like, Hey, Such, Steve, Wright, Like there's going to be an 11 pounder. It was cool to sound the horn and so that we could cover it the way it needed to, because that, that could be the big fish of the year for all of our trails, but for sure it could be the big fish for the opens. Uh, and it might get beat at Santee for the opens. Who knows? While we're on that note, you were talking about Toledo, uh, big fish, and I'll, I'll button up Toledo real quick. And I want to talk about the open for just a minute, but Toledo, the deal I feel though, is if you catch a nine or 10 pounder or something bigger than that, it's not like you're going to have 22 pounds. Like you could have 32 pounds because I don't expect you to come in with four, two pounders and a 10 pounder, you know, or four, three pounders and a 10 pounder. I expect to see a, a six and a four and a five and a three, and you have a 10 and you have the, one of the best days you've ever had. And so that's what the, you know, the, the crash course could be at Toledo. Whereas with Washita, uh, it seemed like the nine fourteen and the 10, 14, both of those were exactly half of that angler's weight for the day. And that just shows how much of a game changer a, a big fish is by bite there is, but a giant fish is even more so. I think Zach gained 110 points in the standings. And based on, and no offense to Zach, just this is the way tournament fishing is. He had like nine pounds and was in 150th or something day one, catches 22, the biggest bag of the tournament, moves all the way up into the top 10, and then doesn't catch a limit on the final day. That fish was a third of his whole tournament weight. And so I think that those are so crucial. But at Toledo, you can't get away with just one big bite. You're going to have to pour it on. I think we'll see that. So while we're on the note of Washita, I want to segue real quick for five minutes, folks. Hang in here if you're wanting to talk about Toledo. We just want to cover our last tournament. Jeremiah Kendi and Matt Baker, first and second. Two Arkansas hammers getting it done at home. We saw Scott Martin, who was an Elite Series hammer, and a Florida hammer getting it done on his home body water. So we've, we're two for two and opens one by a guy who would classify it as their home lake. And you got to be there and cover people on the water. You got to cover Matt. Not the easiest morning for him on the final day, but ended up getting enough to get second place in the tournament. So what are your thoughts of seeing your home lake put on a national scale for the first time in a while and for the first time, honestly, in like over a decade at a good time of year? Because <laughs> it's always been showcased in August, you know? Well, the first thing I could think of is when you mentioned Matt's slow morning on the final day is that, you know, is that my fingers and toes are just now being unthawed <laughs> from that final day. Um, I mean, easily had to be the top 10, like coldest I've ever been in my whole life. And I know. Low and wind and 30 degrees. 
brutal. 30 degrees, like, I mean, 15-mile-an-hour winds just right in your face. I mean, plus, I mean, it could have been more than that at times, I'm sure. Um, all day long, I mean, it was just frigid. Like, those guys were warriors on that last day because, I, I mean, I'm sitting there with with gloves on. Like, every part of my body is covered, like, like you know, overkill with clothes. And these guys are out there still fishing and operating. I'm just like, holy cow. Um, you could uh, tell there was Texans, there were, you know, Californians, there were all these people in there, just three hoods, cinched, goggles, all that. And you see Evan Kung, he's taking off, he's got just one hood on, and it's barely staying on his head. And I'm like, Canadian, 100% Canadian. Yeah. You're like, of course, yeah. he's the one. <laughs> nice brisk day for him uh, yeah. compared to what it was in Canada that morning, I imagine. Um, but no, I, I was thrilled, honestly. Uh, you and I talked, obviously previewed the event on the podcast uh, last week, but you know I think the event went as as well as it could have. You looked at the, um, you know, obviously we talked about it. It's not the kind of lake that you're just going to see 20, 20 pound bags. It's not like fishing like Gunnersville right now or anything like that. But you know we predicted it. There would be some 20 pound bags, maybe even a couple less than I I would have guessed. Um, but you know, I mean, obviously those giant fish showing up. I mean, that shows you the caliber of fish that live in that place. And, you know, obviously there was a lot of changing conditions. Obviously you have, you know, two days on the front end that were super warm practice was all over the place. So, I mean, I think that the fish were just kind of in a, in a weird spot as it was, but. Um, they don't like change at Washita. No, no, not at all. Especially when it's like drastic changes, like yeah. rain and cold and then warm and then cold again. People I mean, got sunburned over. on day one. Like I got a neck tan. People had sunglass tans like it was Florida. And then the next day, everybody's got a toboggan on. And I was like leaving way in at five o'clock, like, oh my goodness, day two, it's getting cold. And then it stayed cold. Crazy. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. I think that um, naturally when you look at, if it's your home lake, you want to say, uh, well, if they would have went there at a different time, it'd have been better. But like, I was, I thought that the event was great. I mean, I thought there was diversity and 17 guys, a day. Absolutely. I mean, you had guys, obviously Jeremiah Kennedy throwing a rattle trap over grass, like traditional old school type stuff. Matt Baker doing a lot of the same things. Guys on the West end fishing shallow, you know, flipping jigs, throwing shallow running crankbaits. Um, obviously had, had your live scope guys being able to, to, target those suspended fish and those fish out in out in timber and things of that nature. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I tried to look at it as unbiased as possible. Like, you know, if you were just a fan and didn't know anything about like Washita, like what would this event look like? And, and I thought it was cool. I thought, I thought it was a good event. Um, obviously, like I said, some of the top end bags were really big. The big fish, you know, jolted the way ins each day. Um, and you know, there's, there was just so many, just like we predicted, so many like nine to 12 pound bags. I mean, it's, it's not hard to just catch an average, but when I say hard, 11, that, 11 was a hundredth place after day one. Yeah. It's not uncommon. Let me not, it's not easy because the place is very challenging. It's very tricky and very uh, unique, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of diversity. The, the weights overall top to bottom were really tight, um, which allowed you was dispersed on the final day. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, so dispersed. End to end. So dispersed that you didn't want to run to go cover another guy because <laughs> he was ten miles away and it was five degrees outside. But, um, but yeah, I thought the event was really good and and I hope it's a uh, you know a place that we frequent more often in, in the years to come. Obviously, I'm saying that biased, but I I think that I think again, it will for sure. I think Hot Springs showed up. I think the weigh-in was great having two locals in it as well. Um, but I do think that 
you know, it, it proved to be a good tournament destination for sure. And I I have a thought and a question for you as someone who would consider themselves a local to to Hamilton and Washita is you like how I'm saying that Washita? Tommy corrected me as soon as I ended the preview right. podcast that I was saying Washita. It's Washita. So Washita, Washita, Washita. I was pausing during the show. Um, I called it on the final day. It was three seven was the biggest bass all day long. We left live. There was one hour of fishing left. I was like, there's no way there isn't a five pounder caught today. And right 30 minutes left in the day, Andy Newcomb catches a, a six two or something. It was five twelve on bass track, a six two or whatever. And I was like, yes, I knew there'd be a five pounder. And it was cool to see the winner have one rod on his front deck throwing that lipless. And you see Andy Newcomb who gets like third or something. I think he gets third. And he caught a different, like he had talked about a chatterbait and a wacky rig in prior days. And then it turned into a crankbait and a Carolina rig. Then he caught one um, on, you know, a jig head minnow, I believe at the end of the day. And like, so he had like seven or eight rods of different things on there. And I enjoyed seeing that up the river. And then you've got the areas um, where really consistent weights. And I got to talk to Bo Browning and Stetson Blaylock on live about this, but my, your thoughts is Andrew Hargrove really, he might've had a big bite on day one when he had 19 and a half or uh, I think he had, I think he had 1915. I think 15. he was, yeah, 1915. Um, he might've had like a six pounder that day. But every other fish for Hargrove seemed like a three, you know, three and a half pounder, two and three quarters to three and a half pounder, like really solid weight. Um, but then you see guys like Evan Kung, Zach uh, Gutrema, who caught the 914 and the 1014. It seemed like they had all spotted bass in their bag other than that. You know, and Zach said the final five minutes, he caught a five pounder on his 22 pound day. So obviously he had three spotted bass, a five pounder and a 10 pounder. Um do you feel with the strategy they were doing of, you know, live scoping, um, you know, forward facing sonar over timber, sometimes over 80 feet, sometimes over 50 feet that you're either going to catch spotted bass cookie cutter, 13 inches, or you're going to catch a giant. Cause it seemed like that was their bags. And then there'd be those guys who were doing the same program in a different part of the lake. And it was just three pounders. Like they just consistent Andy Newcomb, just consistent up the river fishing shallow right at the mouths of the rivers, you get the other guys. Um, you know, I think I think uh, there's two or three guys right there where Iron Forks and North Fork and all the rivers kind of come together. So in your opinion, was area of the lake and strategy why we saw somebody with an absolute giant and then the smallest fish we'll see weighed in as well that day? No, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I started thinking about this a lot during the tournament because I said something on the podcast that I didn't want to get misportrayed because I, I the way I said it was that it's unavoidable to have spotted bass. And I I didn't mean that like you couldn't catch five largemouth because there's plenty of guys that caught five largemouth. But it's exactly like you said, those fish, those like unicorns that live out there, obviously, like the big giant, you know, nine, nine, 14, and then the 10, 15 or whatever they were. Um, you know, like you said, they're living in places that primarily you're going to catch spotted bass. And striper. Like there, there's plenty of, yes, plenty of striper <laughs> and even crappie, like giant crappie. I saw Zach catch a crappie on on the final day that had to have been a, a six-pounder. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, Spray I think that, green. that's kind of the point I was getting at. It's like, you know, when you're scoping, and especially over deep water like that, like a lot of those fish are spotted bass. 
and the spotted bass aren't huge. So like when I said it's almost unavoidable, you know, it's not unavoidable to have them in your bag or not have them in your bag. The guys that fished up the West Fork and and primarily fish shallow, I mean, you saw almost all largemouth, like you said. I mean, you just, it was harder to catch a five plus pound largemouth doing that as it would be, um, you know, scoping and, and fishing for those those single fish. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that you're exactly right. It, it has more to do with area of the lake. Um, when it comes to that, I think like most lakes, I don't think this is this is unusual. Like I think a lot of your biggest fish in the lake live in the middle of the lake, not like middle of the abyss, but like mid lake area, you know, and then you start branching off to different areas or sides of the lake and and different places. And the every yeah, every stage of the lake, you know, dam to river will have big ones in it. It's just when they show up, sure. it's like you'll see the the fish up the river start spawning first or last and dam starts, you know, so it's like, you see them show up and you're like, big ones are everywhere. But yeah, like you're saying, like most just fishing days, it seems like mid lake, especially on Washita produces from, from the start of where Blakely's is, you know, Buckville or whatever to iron forks, you know, that, that region, crystal Springs, whatever. And that's just some of the most popular places on the lake in general, you know, like watching Matt, uh fish on the final day you know it was funny because like a lot of the places he was running like they're not even necessarily like the places i fish a ton but it's like the places that a lot of people do fish you know like rabbit being like a super popular area of the lake um you know cedar Cedar. yeah Yeah, cedar i mean like some of those lake or those areas you know just have resident fish in them and they just live there all year long and they're some of the first fish me and my dad were talking about this there's some of the first fish on the lake to spawn, you know, the northernmost pockets. Yep. Um, obviously, they, those fish weren't spawning, but they might have been further ahead. You know, they were in that some of those fish Matt were catching, obviously, were like the um, probably the furthest along fish in, in shallower grass comparatively to what a lot of the other guys were fishing. Um, you need to remember the north part of most lakes will spawn or get warmer first. And it right. doesn't make sense because it's more north. Why would it get because those south winds affect those banks much more than the north winds killing the south banks, crushing them. So, yeah, those and for you, I would have been seeking out who's fishing on the north shore. We got a north wind. I'm going to be protected on that side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. picking the north shore guy. The way it ended up all day long <laughs> is like he would be fishing like an area that was like more protected. And then for us, like coverage wise, like to not get in his way, the only place we could be was like right in the shoot of the wind. So it was just weird just sitting there, just taking it, just sitting there in silence thinking like, take me to the bank. Let me, I'll walk the shore. <laughs> that's what I told, told my dad. I said like, this would be a really good time for us to fake like a mechanical problem and just head on in. Like <laughs> Bowman, I'm sorry, good man. Luck, Matt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our dropped a cylinder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The flux capacitor of this Ultrex is, uh, is, really not doing it for us anymore. We got to take it back into the house. <laughs> the medulla obligata of my power poles messed up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And the tournament was great. Obviously I I'm super biased, but um, you know, when you're catching giant fish in those big bags and, you know, having the opportunity again, like you said with Zach, you know, to make big jumps, a lot of places like you can't really do that. Like it's hard to catch, you know, I'm trying to think of like an example, like, to where if you caught nine pounds on the next or on the first day, Champlain. like, yeah, then like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you can't get that much higher than what you did the day before. Like it's hard to get significantly higher than like average, like average, you know, like you said, was somewhere in the 11, you know, 10, 10 pound, 11 pound range. There's, you know, endless opportunities on that lake to catch 20 pounds. So like, if you do that on the second day, like Zach did, you jump 
all the way into the top 10. Like, that's crazy. Like, I like seeing jumps like that because it never makes you feel like you're out of it. Like, you're not just there, you know, you're always there fishing for points. But a lot of days you're like, well, the best I can do at this point is just try to salvage some points. Like, get five and, like, and do all I can do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, forget that. You're in a position where, like, if you catch, I don't know how many guys I told after day one, like when they'd come off and say, oh, I only caught nine pounds. I was like, you're still right where you need to be. Yeah, because you catch 13 get, tomorrow, you're going to gain yeah, exactly. 37 spots. Exactly. Like Maybe there's a lot of, spots. lot of room for, for jumps. And, and to me, that's what made it entertaining. And I guarantee you, Zach was thinking, well, my chances of calling for the elite series are down the drain. I got 150th after day one at Washita. Like ah, it's been a good run. I'm one tournament and one day in, but man, you can't have a 150 on your scorecard. And then you go and put a 10, 14 and have 22 pounds in you're in the top 10. And you're like, my other 14 fish for the week tell me I shouldn't have been in the top 10, but thank you, Lord, for that one bite because it kept my – I'm still in it for the elites. Like I'm still – you know, you're just – in the opens, you want to prolong your success and stay in it just one more day, one more day, and let it be what it will be. And so on those days where you're, you're not catching them, you just need that Hail Mary bite, and he got it day two. So it was great. Um, I, It was cool to see Jeremiah – pull up, catch a 3-6 on his first couple casts of the day on a spot that he's known forever. I said it's got to be sentimental when you've like, you found this in the rain one March back in 1997, and it's been good to you, and now it's good to you in a $50,000 tournament that has a classic implications. Uh, so that was cool to see. And then after he catches his limit, which he had one, took an hour or so, and then he caught two, three, four, five, like pretty in the next hour. So he had an hour of nothing, and then – that and then the bike kind of shut off. He made his move towards the river. There's a couple of places, you know, right outside, I guess, Mountain Harbor, a couple short pockets right in the South Fork area, and a couple islands around there. I didn't know Washita had 200 islands, but when I was looking around for info <laughs> on the internet, 200 islands labeled. So he was around some of those places where it was calm, still, and the sun was baking in those pockets. And he was able to get, you know, a little bit in the ditches, some rock, and just tink, and boom. He was able to catch a couple three pounders. It seemed like every time he'd get an update, it was a two seventy five or a three a three six. And I was like, this dude's gonna have fifteen pounds without having a big one all day. And he did. He had sixteen pounds. So, congrats to Jeremiah. He actually signed up for one event, but because that division is gonna have basically two hundred anglers instead of two twenty five, he is going to. It's a positive ROI to take four thousand dollars of your winnings and invest it back into Logan Martin and you follow Oklahoma. Cause at minimum, if you do that, you're going to make 10 K at grand Lake. And with that being down the, or I mean, uh, Ray Roberts for the 2025 classic. And so, uh, good, smart business decision to get on the wait list for those real quick. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I have that, that, that'll be really cool. Obviously if he gets in those tournaments, but the, the one last thing I want to say, um, you know, regards to the tournament, you know, this was, I didn't really say this to a whole lot of people. I maybe said it to like my dad, but like, you know, typically when you watch opens for the majority of people that are not from the area, when you see locals have success, it, it, I'm just being completely transparent. Like it, it, sometimes it bugs me. I'm like, I'm like, here's this guy jackpotting this open, you know, that doesn't fish anything else. It's like, you almost want like, our guys like the, the EQ anglers and the guys that are fishing the divisions to go yeah, in there you're like, wasting your like, publicity on a guy who's not bought, bought in. Yeah. And you, you almost want them to get humbled a little bit, <laughs> but like, it was not like that for me, this tournament. And, and again, I don't expect everybody to be like this, but there's some nostalgia, you know, to the fact that watching Jeremiah Kendi, like somebody that I've fished against for years now. And like, 
you know, lost to 99% of the time, but like, and, and a Matt Baker, same way, like college, like he started fishing in college about the time I was getting out and fished all these college tournaments against each other. And, you know, he and I have fished together a handful of times. Like it was cool as a local to the area to see a couple of the local sticks do really well. Um, and then there was even obviously some of them that didn't do as well that we talked about beforehand, but uh, it was really cool. And I can understand now more than maybe I could have before, you know, like it is cool to see your local guys, like your, your you know, collective like area um, of anglers do well against, you know, incredibly, incredibly tough competition. And I think that, uh, you know, Jeremiah winning that's obviously well-deserved and and congrats to him. Yeah, when you see thousands of hours poured into a body of water, he was emotional at takeoff. He said, you know, final day, I've launched from this boat ramp a thousand days in my life. But today is different. I, I'm like fishing for a classic spot. Like, that's crazy. So everyone dreams of that opportunity. Not everyone, you know, just because you spend thousands of hours on a lake doesn't mean they're good hours, you know? Certainly. So, so for, for those guys to to be able to flex that, um, you know, I think I think we're going to see that at Leech, Mississippi River for the Division Three. A bunch of Minnesota and Wisconsin guys are excited that we're coming to that region, and we're going to see a lot of names we've never seen before that probably have been licking their chops and like, I can do this. Let me just get one in my wheelhouse. So it'll be a lot more. But I think we had three EQ anglers from Arkansas, and we had 21 or 20 sign up for the tournament. So there was a lot of local flair to this tournament, and it was cool to see uh, how it played out. Even and, without and, the A rig, you put A rig in Jeremiah Kennedy's hand. I mean, it could have been, it could have been stupid dumb. And and you know, one last thing, and I know we want to move on. <laughs> like you said, we were going to spend five minutes on this thing. We've spent like twenty five minutes on this, but like, you know, Andy Newcomb being like a great example. All it takes for some guys is just to have that one tournament, that one bit of success, like he did, at like the Ozarks last year. Then he jumps in the EQs and finishes eighteenth, and like you said, like third at Washita, like. Sometimes for guys, it's just having that opportunity to have a lake or, a, you know, an open or a big tournament on your home lake, and that can kickstart your career. I mean, obviously, Andy's still got a long ways to go throughout the season, but, but like you see the you see the path to, to qualify. You're like, mm, I've known that name from just local reports for a while. I feel really good about Andy Newcomb. Like, sure, I, I you know, when he got a top 10 at his home lake. I was like, cool. It's cool to see names that you know do it. And then when he texts me, like, I'm buying a life membership. I'm signing up for all nine to try to make the elites. And I was like, heck yeah, dude. And then to see him and meet him and talk to him in person after texting and whatnot and to interview him, it's cool to see it come to fruition. He makes the top 10. And he's gotten three bass events and three top 20s. And one of them, you know, was 19th, you know. And so you're like, that's crazy. So, Good on those guys. Um, uh, Paul Marks leaves Washita with the Tackle Warehouse EQ points lead for the St. Croix Bassmaster Open. So great, great event there. And I'll say last thing about Jeremiah Kindy. He's a local because he stepped away from touring, but he was on the Land of Lakes teams with the FLW Tour back in the day. Matt Airy texted me that he was a co-angler with Kindy when he was just getting started. Stetson talked about I was 10 years old and Jeremiah would carry me out in his boat and I learned a lot from him. Um, you know, Bo Browning mentioning how much he's been. So people were like, what happened to Jeremiah Kendi if you if you covered him or were with him for a while? And he's just been tearing it up at home. So it's cool to see that. 
Now we've got a list of anglers looking to tear it up somewhat at home. Let me go real quick. I'll just pull it up. Um, I could probably guess that there's, I think, four or five Elite Series pros from Louisiana. But let me just click and search on our thing with our handy-dandy filter. There are five Elite Series pros from the state of Louisiana. Greg Hackney's from Louisiana, technically, but he's technically from Arkansas. But I'll let him I'll let him be a Louisiana angler here. Hackney, Hudnall, Latuso, Summerall, and Ravette, all Louisiana anglers. Um, fishing somewhat close to home or at least the most fished body of water pouring wise like if you're a louisiana angler you may be from the achafalaya or the red river you gotta fish toledo because that's the one that we're going to nationally come to so a lot of big tournaments happen there so it, it seems like a home lake for some of these guys um so let's jump into fantasy fishing first off out of those five how do you feel like it sets up for them you've got hackney who can do it all all these guys can do it all but latuso seems like more of a shallow water puncher things like that yet we see him fishing offshore you know brush piles and stuff at rayburn and almost winning a few years ago hudnall summerall rivet those five guys uh we know rivet got a win with you know forward facing sonar hudnall's made top 10 at seminole doing some of that fishing some grass and some jerk baits things like that and then summerall he'll just take his express all the way to houston if he wants to at the sabine but um tell me out of those five how you feel if you were going to pick a local state angler for this thing where do you see your allegiances lie tough um i would say naturally when you look at that you could easily justify any of those five guys um coming out and and you know not just doing well but even winning the tournament but something tells me and and this might be the layup answer but greg hackney just starts seasons well like rarely does greg hackney have like a uh, you know, a non-cut finish to start any season. So, um, you know, all the factors we talked about 45 minutes ago when we were still talking about Toledo Bend um, with the diversity of potential for fish to be caught shallow, somebody that's sneaky good with forward-facing sonar when he wants to use it. Um, I think that to start the season, uh, Greg Hagney could, you know, obviously be a huge factor at Toledo Bend. But then again, I mean, you look at the way Tyler started his season last year, and it's like, who's to say we don't see another one of those starts from Tyler Rivette? So um, I could see any of the five Louisiana anglers doing well, to be honest. It's hard to say just one. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I know I put you in a top, tough spot. You didn't expect to have to do that. We'll probably talk about, like, home state guys for all of these events when we do it. But uh, the way that, you know, you think about Hackney, he's good enough to do well anywhere, but you always kind of wonder, is it the St. John's River start? You know, is it Florida in February that he does well at and gets off to a good start, or is it anywhere in in February? I mean, he did well in those events, early elites, like I think when he won Rayburn. I think that was early in the year. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little uh, fantasy fishing burp going on here. Uh, but we have Hackney and Rivette in bucket A, and then we have the other – Three anglers from Louisiana in bucket D. Hudnall, Latuso, and Summerall are all together in that bucket. So if you are picking Louisiana-based anglers, you can't go bucket A, B, C, D, and E and pick a guy from the home state. You're going to have to choose one out of the bucket A. There's two options, and you'll have to pick one of the three options in bucket D. So let's jump into our deal and um, quickly just give me your five guys, A through E, and then you can go back through and explain each one a little bit more thoroughly. Um, or we can kind of let's 
you say your five, I'll say my five, and then we'll just attack each bucket, you know, on, on defending our person. All right. So bucket A, Patrick Walters. Bucket B, Brandon Polnick. Bucket C, Cole Sands. Bucket D, this is a tricky one because you and I were just talking about this <laughs> off air. Uh, my fantasy column that I wrote has Ray Hanselman, but I'm I'm tempted to switch. We'll get into it. I don't know. Uh, bucket E, I'm going Kyle Patrick in bucket E. So okay, to, to round out my buckets, Patrick Walters A, Brandon Polnick B, Cole Sands C, Ray Hanselman D, and Kyle Patrick in bucket E. Well, I've got A through E. I've got Patrick Walters in A, Cody Huff in B, Brandon Lester in C, Derek Hudnall in D, and Wesley Gore in E. Um, you'll see a lot of rookies or you know names that you're not familiar with in bucket E because that's where we stow a lot of them unless they're financially you know in the money rankings higher or for the given starting lake if they are a local or a favorite or a previous winner there. So you'll see them dispersed throughout there. But most rookies, if there's no designation Y else, you put them in bucket E until you figure out AOY points. So Walters, Huff, and that would be the Cody variety, Lester, Hudnall, and Gore. Let's go through bucket A. We both agreed on Walters for probably similar reasons. He's my angler of the year pick this year. I mean, it's not like I'm going deep in the archives to do that, but he hasn't won it yet. Uh, I think he gets off to a good start here, and I think it could be either way. I think I think he could do it Demiki style. I think he could do it jerkbait style. I think that he could do it up shallow. I really think also in big fish tournaments, it's hard to see Patrick Walter's name much farther down the list than the top 20. He's going to be in those heavyweight events. He just has that sixth sense on figuring out how to get bigger bites when the big fish are biting. So I've got Walters there for the big fish. That We expect this to be a heavyweight tournament, probably century belt for not only one but multiple anglers. Uh, that's the goal and the hope for a lot of people. If there's power fishing involved, I could see Walters getting involved in that. Uh, and also if it, it turns into a forward-facing derby, uh, Walters could totally sample that as well. My logic was the exact same. Uh, I think Pete Robbins said it best in his fantasy column, said – you know, he didn't even say Patrick Walters in bucket A, just put AOY in waiting. And it's exactly like you described. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's just a matter of time at this point uh, for him to win Angler of the Year. Um, and everything you said spot on. I mean, I think that if it ends up being a tournament that's dominated, um, similar to the way Cody Huff did in the college event, you know, kind of out in the abyss, uh, targeting isolated fish and, and fish schooling on bait and things of that nature, just out of the main drag channel or yeah, something like that. Absolutely. I mean, obviously Patrick Walters can do that with the best of them. But then again, you look at how good Patrick Walters is with a jerk bait. All those things we were talking about with, um, you know, the fish in ditches, fish over grass, um, those fish heading into the shallow stuff. Like basically any way the tournament, you know, lines out, it seems like Patrick Walters, you know, should be right there in the thick of things. And that just speaks to his versatility, obviously, more than anything. But, um, you know, again, how good he is with forward-facing sonar. And it's not just doing it with a jighead minnow. Like, he's had success with forward-facing sonar doing a lot of different things, which, you know, I, I you know, nobody can fault anybody for in that. In timber, honestly. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, like this scenario. All I could think about, and I said this in my column, was, you know, the fork tournament, uh, you know, the fall fork tournament, him throwing the jerkbait, 
different time of the year, different lake, different almost everything. Same but it's vibe. Like, it's still, yes, it really <laughs> is. It's like you're telling me that Patrick Walters can't, you know, won't figure out some something similar to that deal at Fork um, when the fish are actually biting and like you know the fishing's good. Like to me, I don't know. It seems like Patrick Walters is a is a surefire bet. And now that we're saying that, he'll definitely finish a hundred and second. But um, you know, on paper, it's like hard to go against Walters and Bucket A, even though, as always, Bucket A is just loaded with sticks. Defend slash explain Bucket B. Uh, let me remember who I picked here. Who did I say? Um, Brandon Polnick. So my my main reasoning, you know, okay, I'm not Brandon Polnick's best friend by any means, but I get the sense that the way last year ended, like. Brandon Paulnick, just as a competitor and who he is, you don't think he's still just mad? Like he's like you, you hear the phrase "mad at him." I feel like there's nobody in the field that's more mad at him than Brandon Paulnick, based on the way last year finished. Um, uh, you know, on bodies of water that he's had a history of success uh, to obviously not do well to end last season. Um, Toledo Bend being a place he's had success. I'm not basing a lot of my picks on success on Toledo Bend because it's obviously a completely different time of the year. Um, I, it's more just fishing style. But Polonix is another one of those guys that, like, unless it's Okeechobee the year that he won AOY, he typically starts well. I mean, he starts well in the season. Um, and the fact that it's not in Florida, you know, makes me think that Brandon Polonix probably going to have a good start to the season at Toledo Bend. Yeah, that it seems, I mean – like he's just a surefire consistent angler that you're going to see him factor also in an event, you know, here or there to win. But yeah, he, his, his floor is much higher than many. Um, in, my, in, I, I just noticed this. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned this. Uh, but if you did want to base it on success alone um, in five Bassmaster events at Toledo Bend, he's never finished lower than 34th. Nice. That's also pretty good, pretty good odds that, uh, that he vibes well with Toledo Bend. Well, I think in two career events, if that's how many he's done at Toledo Bend, Cody Huff's never been worse than first. So uh, <laughs> Cody's got to be <laughs> – Cody's my bucket B pick. Uh, strictly for for live scoping, um, whether it's a big spoon, a little spoon, jig head minnow, uh, jerk bait, something. He has done – there's a lot of guys who take the offseason off. He just decides to smash them at Bull Shoals doing offshore, um, you know, suspended fishing. He's one of the best at it. He's never going to say it. He's so quiet. He's always just underrated. I think Cody Huff um, showed it at Champlain, what he's capable of. That's why a lot of people may save him or use him and drain the lake at, at Champlain. Um, but for fantasy fishing purposes, I'm using him here in bucket B. I do think that he, you know, really exploited a pattern and was able to carry it for two weeks. Rarely can you do that, but he did that, I think, in like 2021 um or whatever it was 2020 2021 and um i really like him to come out of the gate strong for this one um he's not having to leave for the birth of his child like and be there late for practice i think he should status quo like start start you know no drama let's get off to a good start so he's my bucket b pick for bucket c i was super bummed with how this guy didn't perform uh early in the season last year brandon lester like didn't didn't do bad at okeechobee did 
terrible at Seminole and never got it back on on the tracks. I don't think, um, and and just came short of missing the class or making the classic. Uh, late in the season. So Lester, I think he starts off stronger. I think that he crappy fishes a lot in the off season. So if you want to put him for, for forward facing sonar, you can. Um, but if you want to see a good old lipless, he's an old school angler in a younger man's body. I like to say that about John Garrett. I get the same vibe from Brandon Lester. They're both from the same state of Tennessee, older man style fishing, you know, He's probably got lures that I would love to have in a replica box that he's used, you know, um, certain types of crankbaits, uh, you know, lipless jerkbait, all those different things. Then you've got not a lipless jerkbait. I know that sounded bad, but lipless comma jerkbait. <laughs> um, I guess the lipless jerkbait is the credge because it's it's upside down. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Um, but then you've got a, you know, you've got the chatterbait and, you know, uh, up shallow worm and bite that I think that, you know, Lester could totally do hybrid hunter stuff like that. I think, I think there's a lot of different things that Lester can employ here. And I just keep thinking, I'm, do you ever do that when you think of a lake and you think of a style of fishing that your mind takes you to the same picture? I'm still picturing what like housing, the housing Creek looks like from the mouth of it. And when you look at the map and you see how the channel goes way and hugs a bank and then there's all flats and like, I just, Go, I think he could figure that out for sure um, and really do well. So Lester is my bucket C pick. Who is your bucket C? I think you said Cole Sands. I did. Yeah, I like your pick with Lester. I think that's really solid. Um, I went low percentage in, in bucket C. So it's not based on history. It's not based on any like, you know, anything I could look at and give you statistics for. But it's a couple things. One, he's really good with those electronics. I think that if it becomes something of that matter, um, you know, forward facing, you know, fishing for suspended fish. I think he's going to be right at home there. But my thing is like Chickamauga and, and Toledo Bend are not necessarily similar in a lot of ways, but they are similar in the fact that there's big fish in both. There's grass in both. And like the fish eat big baits in both, like for the same reason you were talking about Lester, you know, whether it becomes like a, a trapping deal, um, fishing, you know, flats, fishing, secondary stuff leading to, um, you know, spawning bays and spawning coves and things of that nature. Um, it's just a gut feeling, you know, the name of my column was go with your gut. And for some reason, I just feel like Cole Sands, you know, no stranger to big fish, fishing for big fish, uh, being a guide there on Chickamauga and, and having, you know, fish there so often, I think a lot of the same techniques and patterns could work at Toledo Bend. And it's just a, it's just a feeling for me. And at, at, 0.7 player percentage right now. Um, if that one hits, your boy is going to be celebrating in bucket bucket C. Yeah, we didn't even talk about percentage because that's something that we've always harped on or at least accentuated in certain ways. And uh, when we look at the first few buckets, let's just look at bucket A, B, and C. A, our pick is 12.7%. Not too bad. I didn't even think about – I didn't even look at percentages. I've got 1.5 for bucket B. You have – um 14 percent in bucket b so solid you know double digit to low teens for both buckets for you um i've got one underdog there i've got a 12 percent pick in bucket c while you've got a one percent pick so we've both got uh, an equal amount of that until we get to bucket d and e so d was the last bucket that i selected i did a b c e and then i came back and did d i think you did something similar most likely uh you said hanselman 
Tell me why, or if that's changing for whatever reason. I'm just going to stick with Hanselman for right now. I think that Bucket D was was tricky for me. When you look at the anglers in Bucket D, you've got Keith Combs and Zaldane taking up like 60% combined of the player percentage. 28 and 24, yeah. That's, or, I mean, that's, 28 and 29. That's That's a bunch. Obviously, those two guys, easy to justify either of those two for this event. So, I mean, there's no like – it's not one of those where you're like scratch your head and you're like, why is so, you know, like what does Vegas know on this that I don't kind of deal? It's not like a deal where, um, you know, it's hard to figure both those guys could easily blow it out of the water. Um, but I, you know, I, when it, when it gets to two guys owning 60%, again, if you just completely avoid the player percentage, that's fine too. I'm not suggesting that you, you know, really dig into that too much. I think a lot of the people that have most success fantasy fishing, um, they don't pay attention to it at all. And that's that's a great mindset as well. Whoever you think is going to catch them is who you should pick. I mean, that's pretty simple. It's not a not a hard game to understand. But um, I don't know. It, for me, though, personally, like it seems like if those two guys are taking up 60%, it's not a bad chance that somebody else, the bucket's going to do better than those two guys. Um, and Ray Hanselman, if, if that's, you know, same reason. I mean, a guy is a big fish specialist. Anytime that we're around big fish, lakes with big bass, um, you know, started, obviously, he started well with offshore grass at Harris Chain, getting absolutely. the top, you know, he was leading that. Absolutely. I mean, just a Texas hammer, obviously, as well. I mean, he's had success on pretty much every notable body of water in Texas. Um, and Toledo Bend is enough in Texas for me to, uh, just yeah. that he can uh, do it there as well. And I, did I mean, see so like, many people say on the road to Texas, and I'm like, homie, the events yeah. in Louisiana this week, like, give give Manny some love. Like, there's that's the place to stay. You could stay across the lake if you want, but why don't you just stay at Cypress Bend and be three minutes from everything you need? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I actually had to replace um, one of the fantasy articles that I had to edit. I don't remember whose it was. Oh, one of the bus. I don't even remember. Texas and Texas and going back to Texas and starting the season in Texas, like brother, we're not starting the season in yes. Texas at all. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, kind of, but like that's not what it says. It's Louisiana through yeah. and through and through. Um, but yeah, again, if if I had to simplify it as much as possible, Ray Hanselman, um, traditionally does really well pre-spawn, big fish, Texas. I mean, a lot of things line up for me to think Ray Hanselman will will have a good event there at Toledo Bend. Yeah, and I had to go Louisiana. I can't. I can't do a a roster without Louisiana on there. And so I went. I went Derek Hudnall, and it was between Derek and Caleb Summerall. Caleb's my guy when it comes to giving me the water, like water levels, and and his thoughts on what that's going to do. And I'm super excited that if his, you know, if he can go shallow, or if that's what ends up transpiring for him, that you know he could be one that just does well doing it. Um, I always thought of him as being like a matted vegetation like Gunnersville that one year when he had a shot to win doing that. Um, that was something that I always thought for him. But I think that I think that you gotta watch yourself if you're a local here. Local at Washita, forty thousand acres, run around, duplicate a pattern. Here, it's a long ways till you find the next area that could be similar to yours. Like it could be so don't stretch yourself too far, but I think I and I visualize Derek Hudnall maybe doing something like he did at Seminole, where he's able to use forward facing sonar, but he's doing it on a grass edge or over some grass with a jerk bait or or something like that. 
in a ditch, um, you know, whether it's, you know, at the dam, Buck Bay, you know, uh, Mill, Six Mile Housing, Pirates Cove, anywhere down there. You could go up to um, San Patricio, San Miguel, and those big creeks on the Louisiana side up north. Anything like that could be possible. Um, these guys could definitely find something sneakier. I think that these guys will use, as we're recording this, day one of practice Sunday, I think that they're going to use day one, maybe a little bit of day two, just noticing where everyone's at. And not that it's too too small of an area for people. It's a big body of water. But when you see so many people in the same creeks, the odds that you're going to have something to yourself is not there. And so I think that they could go and find a little dealio, you know, sample from something that's played for them in, in the past. So I think Hudnall um, could really do something good this week. Uh, so he's my bucket D pick. Like you said, 60% gobbled up by two different guys. He's 2.5%. Summerall's 12%. Um, Logan Latuso is 7.8%. So of the Louisiana guys, he's the lowest picked one. There's even Logan Parks is in this bucket. The rookie, you've got David Mullins in this bucket. Uh, Jake Whitaker, Tyler Williams, rookie-wise, is in this bucket. Um, and you had already mentioned Ray Hanselman. So uh, we'll keep an eye on those guys. Now we go to bucket E. My bucket E was Wesley Gore. And I say this because I had no intention in bucket E of picking anyone else except a rookie because every year I'll, I'll pull up the stats just because I'm not making opinions. 2022, four rookies made the cut in the first event of the season. Top 50, four rookies made top 50. 2023, five rookies made top 50 at Okeechobee. So the odds that 40 to 50% of the rookies will make a Top 50 at Toledo is there. And I think that Wesley is one of the most underrated of the rookies. If he didn't make a sound all year, people would forget that he was a rookie. And so I think that Wesley, with his skill set, jerk baiting, cranking, uh, chatter baiting, you know, finesse fishing, scope skills, I think that I put him kind of in the category, in my opinion, they're from similar parts of the country as Justin Hamner. Like, if you ever think of an angler, like we were talking about last year, I don't know who it was. Who are we talking about that if, like, this guy catches him, that we can, like, supplement this guy instead? Like, you know, like, oh, it's like Cobb and, like, we said, was it, was it Cobb and Welcher Welcher, or Cobb, Cobb and Lester or something like that? Yeah, it was like, yeah. Aaron and Wes Logan, like, guys that are very similar to each other. It's like, well, if one, if you can justify one, you can probably justify the other two. I think you could do John Garrett and Brandon Lester, honestly. You could swap those out. And so, um, in my opinion, I think Wesley Gore and Justin Hamner, they're interchangeable. If you if you want to pick one, don't want to pick the other, like, you have an option there. So, Bucket E, Wesley Gore, there's going to be, like I said, I think final bucket, you're going to have some names Trusted Elite Series guys from that part of the country or that skill set that are going to be highly picked. Buddy Gross, 17%. Brad Watley, 25%. Will Davis Jr., 18%. Why is Will Davis Jr. – was it another mixed up with Clint Davis and Will Davis? Wrong Davis gets in the wrong bucket because Will Davis is bucket E instead of B. I think that's what happened. Just like, yeah, Huffs and Davises do that. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened, and it's exactly what happened at the beginning of last year too. With, with like you said, uh, Cody and Mike. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Or the Huffs. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I, I just know. noticed. I was like, what the freak is Will Dewis doing a bucket? Dude, he, he won I an event did. last year. <laughs> the buckets have been open for so long, and I just noticed it like the end of last week. And I was like, oh, we're way too past changing it at this point. It's yeah. already just yeah, what yeah. it is. Uh, so congratulations. Funny. You got Will Davis and Bucket E if you want to take advantage of that. We've got uh, a Davis and a Huff in Bucket D. I mean, Bucket B and Bucket E. So just have your choice of a Davis or a Huff in either bucket. Right. Yeah, no kidding. So, um, yeah, a lot of percentages take it up there. Wesley's 4%, which is actually considerably good for a rookie that's not even from that part of the country. Yeah, same way with Kyle Patrick, 4.2%. Um, you know, one thing that can be said, and this is not like – this is not throwing shade at all. Obviously, I'm not here to to down forward facing sonar by any means. But like the guys that are are locked in on it, and when I mean locked in on it, like it's like anything. To be a good flipper, you got to lock in and do it all day. You got to be com- you got to be committed to it. I think the guys that are super 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 committed to forward facing sonar, and again, I'm not saying that as a negative. Like people think that's like some like crutch or something these days. Like toxic. If you're just a forward-facing sonar guy, like, how dare you? Like, you know, Paul Marks, again, going back to the e, EQs, two events in, and that's all he's done, and he's leading the points. So, like, to a degree, it's like any style of fishing. Like, you have to commit to it if you're going to be good at it and you're going to do it. Uh, to me, that's kind of where I'm at with Kyle Patrick. I think that I've watched Kyle Patrick, uh, you know, obviously through the Opens last year, um, be committed to it. And, again, that's not to say he's not good at other things, but, like, the guys that commit to that are usually pretty consistent with it. Like, you know, it's not like you have a complete bomb with it. Um, I think that's one of the the equalizers with the the style of fishing is like, you know, if you find some fish, like it's, it's fairly easy to be consistent with. Um, so I, I think he's going to, you know, possibly be a guy that puts his head down literally um, and, and uses forward facing sonar and, you know, could easily find some fish there at Toledo Bend. Cause Again, like we've mentioned a dozen times already, like the way Toledo Bend sets up with just the abyss of, you know, standing timber, you know, the creek channels and all the things that um, have recipe for success for fish to be off the bank. Like there's plenty of opportunity for guys to be able to find them with live scope. And uh, I think that, you know, a guy like Kyle Patrick, despite maybe other than the open last year, never really fished there other than that. Um, but you know, like I said, certainly could see a guy like Kyle Patrick doing well at, at Toledo Bend. Yeah. And, and I didn't pick Kyle. He's been the most active in my contacts list of calling me in the off season, which is always a good recipe. They're going to do well in the elite series. At some point, I do think young Kyle Patrick is a little spastic and I would probably poop my pants day one of my elite series career. And I feel like he's one who's going to have to you know, bum a dude wipe off a Gerald Swindle after taking off because he's so amped. So I'm going to let Kyle get acclimated to the elites and I'm going to pick him a little bit down the road. Not because he's going to do bad. I just think he's so wired. Like don't face him in a boat lane on day one of the elite. He's not swerving. Like he's, he's, (laughs) he's going to be dialed in. And so um, I love Kyle, but I do think he's a little wired. And I think, and that's more than me. That's that's that saying little, something. That little soundbite right there is going to be the start of one of his infamous social media videos. 
like when he wins this tournament, it's gonna be you saying he's a little spastic, and then it's gonna cut to him, to him catching him or Gerald. Let me get a dude wipe. Morgan Freeman uh, narrating something or something crazy. He was indeed quite spastic today. <laughs> I can I can already see it. Like I and I and I I'm not saying like America's Funniest Home Video is spastic, but I could see him throwing his trolling matter down first spot and falling, like not letting go of the cord and going in with it or something, just like. <laughs> Woo, let's go, you know. So um I love Kyle. It's a uh, it's funny to see um uh, where he's came from. And I will say there's a difference in guys who are good and let's just I'm going to address it in the room. There's a difference from guys who are good at forward facing sonar and also those who take it out of proportions. When Kyle Patrick is successful with it and calls me and says, "Bro, this is getting out of this is getting out of control what some guys are doing on their boats, rigging it up." Like I just want it on my trolling motor, homie. And people are got it. They got it on the moon shooting back to them. They can see themselves on their own unit because they got it. They got it one on a YOLO tech above the boat shooting on down at them for some reason. So um, he is one that uses it, but doesn't abuse it. If you know what you have, if that makes sense, he's a, he's a user, not abuser when it comes to forward facing. So there's another one we're going to be, you know, it's going to be the most interesting man in the world, the spastic. And he's in the, he's a user, not an abuser, but uh, so there's our fantasy team. Let's go into drain the lake real quick. Um, pretty straightforward, but if you do not know drain the lake, so fantasy fishing and drain the lake, two different game modes that we have. Fantasy fishing is based on buckets a through E. Most of the time they are based off of angle of the year positioning, First event of this season, it's based on last year's AOY, and we've dispersed the rookies in different buckets and not just all in the final bucket. Then the classic will be different for fantasy fishing. It's probably going to be strictly set in a different way. The hammers, all, you know, the expected favorites in bucket A, uh, things of that sort. First time guys, opens, anglers, nation qualifiers in bucket E most of the time. And uh, that's the way those are dispersed. So in, they're set in buckets based on five buckets, about 20 anglers per bucket roughly. And when we get to drain the lake, it's a different speed, different different change of pace. You, you use one and you lose one. You pick your lineup, eight anglers you select for your team. Once you pick them at an event, you lose them for the rest of the season. So you always want to pick your guy on a high mark for his tournament. If you get him when he's tw top 20, then even if he gets top five later in the season, like at least I got him when he did good. Don't you don't want to ever pick your guy when he does his worst tournament of the year. So once you pick him, though, you lose him. So you got to be careful. You would love to come out of the gates with a Jason Christie, but you got to save him for Grand Lake. You want to come out of the you know gates with the Johnston brother, you got to save him for St. Lawrence possibly. So there's some strategy to it. I try to, and I will. I've set the Toledo Bend mark, uh, and some of my other teams are partially filled. I will fully finish planning out my full season um, after this podcast airs and uh, we will see how it plays out. But I feel good enough about my eight that I will not switch it up and I'm going to leave them as is. And I will just pick the rest of my rosters based on the other 95 anglers in the field. So let's go four by four. Like we do, you give me your four off the top. I'll give my four. You give your final four. I'll give my final four. All right, leading us off, batting leadoff. <laughs> We've got uh, Stetson Blaylock, Ray Hansman, Ben Milliken, and Brad Wally are my first four. Okay. Uh, I will duplicate one of those with you. He might not be in the first four of four on my list, but I'm going to say him because you already said him. 
Brad Watley. I'm using him for Drain the Lake. He is absolutely incredible at finding them. He just hasn't been able to capitalize on them in the tournament with certain situations that have changed and weather and things like that. But he knows where it goes down, and he figures it out. So he's a great practice guy. Um, I feel like he'll connect the dots in this one. So Watley duplicates for both of us. I've also got Brandon Card, Joey Safuentes, and I did put Mr. Summerall. I left him off my fantasy team. I put him on my Drain the Lake team, and he is my final of my first four. Um, then to – holy cow, I'm, I've, I've lost my place here. I was reading something. Um, so my next four are going to be whenever it loads here. I've got John Sukup, Derek Hudnall, Pat Schlapper, and Keith Combs to round out my Drain the Lake squad. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I've got Mullins, David Mullins, uh, Drew Cook, Wesley Gore, and Patrick Walters. I had to burn Walters here. I really wanted to save him for Murray. I really wanted to maybe save him for Fork. Uh, like we said, he's going to get all, you know, normally I like to duplicate one guy from my five man fantasy team to my drain the lake at least. And uh, Walt, Walters gets the bid there. So anything that stick out from your picks of why you want to mention a guy that maybe, you know, is, is a shocker to some people, um, I'll go ahead and say, like I, I said, my Walters piece. Uh, Wesley Gore is also on my five man team. He's going to be in my drain the lake. I think Drew Cook. He could get on the scoping game, but I think that it's going to be one of those. I'm bailing on it by the time day two of the tournament is because I'm seeing something else start to develop, and I'm going to go run with it. Um, Big Fish, Shallow, that spells Drew Cook. Uh, I think uh, Joey, I think that he's just coming into his own, and I think Brandon Card this tournament also fits up suits up well for Brandon Card and David Mullins in the way they fish. Uh, one of the ones that that stuck out probably that you know maybe some people would see and be like why why Pat Slapper, um in in drain the lake, and the one thing I couldn't you know get out of my head is that Pat Slapper catches the big bass in nearly every single tournament, <laughs> like he catches a ten pounder it seems like no matter where we go like I him don't know and, him and Brandon Cobb have I gone swear, back and forth yeah it's 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 like uncanny and as I was looking down the list and I saw Pat I was like. You know, I don't really know which other tournament I would be like dead set on using him on. And I'm like, this just seems like a big bass. Same way that we we talked about, you know, Safuentes being a potential, you know, candidate here based on his, you know, uh, forward facing sonar ability, one fishing timber to, um, you know, fishing for big fish. Patch Slapper was doing the exact same thing at Seminole. Like for the exact same reasons, you could look at Safuentes Just with the, a jerk bait instead of a yeah. Right. Like I mean, literally, Patch Slapper is good at just about every single thing that you could possibly do at Toledo Bend, um, and it's kind of an overlooked um, pick, possibly. And to be honest, when I got sidetracked there a second ago, I was trying to figure out why I didn't pick him in R- Rapala uh, fantasy fishing because I was like, depending is he on Polonix bucket, probably, probably bucket in B. B. That, that's maybe why I didn't go with him, but. Um, but yeah, I think Pat is a guy, a sleepy pick, um, you know, that maybe you wouldn't think about for Toledo Bend. I'm not sure he's ever even been there, but it just seems like he could be a guy that could, you know, really figure out a deal. And like I said, just has a knack for catching big bass. Um, I had obviously a couple of the same guys you did. It's It's one of those things like you look at your roster and you see a guy and you're like, well, I hate to burn somebody this early in the game. 
like you and I were talking about it uh, before we even started the podcast, like when you're picking your first roster of the year, my biggest thing is like, I don't want to pick somebody that I'm going to regret not having for a tournament that it makes perfectly good sense. Cause it almost happens every year to where like, we'll get down the road and I'll be like, you know, Oh, I'm definitely going to put, you know, this guy on my uh, roster for X leg. And then I'm like, where did I use him? And then I'm like, I used him in the first or second event of the year and he did like average or below average. So it's like, dang it. Like so when I put Taku on my team at Neely Henry for God knows why I did that, you know, and like, you're like, what the heck? I was, I just bored. <laughs> I was being too sneaky there. I just wanted to stir the pot. I just wanted everybody else yeah. to be thinking like you knew something that nobody else did. Like he's on a mega like load free practice or something. Yeah. If we made like a tier list of the elite series pros, like tier one, you know, tier one, there might be like 10 or 12 guys, you know, and then there's some of the tiers might have, you know, 25 guys, you know, it's not 20, 20, 20, 20 and all the tiers of those 10 or 12 tier one guys. I picked two of them, you know, in my opinion, Cook and Walters. I, I picked two of them. And then my tier two guys, uh, you know, a Sefuentes. Um, you could probably put Mullins, you know, for, for most cases in there. He had a bad year last year. Maybe Brandon Card could be a tier two in this deal. So I didn't want to burn too many tier one anglers, but I feel like two is totally acceptable. And uh, they normally don't let me down. Anyways, I want to get off to a good start. Every year I start off poor and just catch up, catch up, catch up. And this year, I don't want to be too conservative, so I'm trying to mix in some tier one, tier two anglers. Yeah, and and, Not, and, and I, that's no disrespect to the other guys that I picked. That's yeah, just sure. like, yeah, you got your you got your guy in the four hole that if there's bases loaded, he's gonna he could have a grand slam. Like for for lack of a better baseball term, those are my four hitters. You know, like I'd love them lead off because they get on base, but I want them to bring all the guys in if those guys can get on base. So I feel like a Wesley Gore can get on base. I feel like a David Mullins can get on base. And if if Joey can, you know, load them up, Drew or Patrick's going to bring them in. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that uh, that's the way I look at it. Aren't you proud uh, of me? I, I didn't trash yeah, baseball there. That was a good baseball. Yeah. Really well done. Um, ben Milliken, did you have him on your drain like you did not? No, I did not. I, I, I'm not going to buy into – well, he won here last year. Like he did. I'm not ignoring that fact. Not a not a Millican hater. I, I'm not. I'm not that at all. I just feel like uh, because so many people are going to pick him, I, I like. I might save him for fork. That, know, like that's I'm, that's the reason I ask because, like in my mind, I'm trying to determine. You did pick him, right? Yes, I did. But I'm trying to, and it's not even necessarily because he won here last year. Naturally, I'm not trying to say that doesn't have some sort of factor. I'm, you know, it obviously does, but. You know, when you look at his ability to throw big baits and and use that in tournaments, it's like these first two tournaments are kind of the perfect two events for him to be able to do that. Um, give me obviously. give me a little less water in the lake to where those secondary points sure. aren't as deep. Maybe you know those clay points. Like it, it's kind of we we would be forcing the pattern that he had go on in April. We would be forcing it unless I'm just wrong. I don't think that's a February 19th through the 25th pattern. Um, or or if it is, it's not going to lay up exactly like that. And so I think with there's so much water being in the lake, I just don't want to – I don't want to just believe and convince myself that he will because he can catch big fish everywhere, not just big fish places. So sure, sure. 
So uh, four, you look at, he could you do look well at in Wheeler. You know, like you could just you could sure. put him at Murray. I don't know. I think he's. You know, we're gonna see him on Bass Live. You know, no doubt we're gonna see him at Bass Live. But uh, yeah, I think there's. I think it's okay for. Like I said, I got to pick a rookie, so I pick Wesley Gore. But yeah, if Ben Milliken does well, I won't be surprised. But do I think he'll do better at other places? Yeah, I think that I think they'll have a better finish this year other than Toledo. I, I that's the the that's where I've been kind of stuck on is I'm going to use him in one of the first two events, but like, and it's not to say he's only a big bait fisherman. That's that's far from accurate. But you but know, God, we want to see him throw a big bait rather than a small bait. Sure. I mean, I think that <laughs> I think do. everybody does, and I think you know, frankly, like based on his style, I think that he probably wants to be able to exploit that as well. And these first two tournaments are obviously going to be the first two are like probably the best opportunities all year he has to do that. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out what weighs more like his win here last year and comfortability at Toledo Bend or the fact that like Lake Fork, irregardless of the time of year, like big baits play. So it's like, I don't know. I'm really struggling with that one, but that's something to be determined. I, I might switch that. And if I do, don't get mad at me. No, I will get mad at you because now we have the line drawn. You pick him in the first one. I pick him in the second one. We'll let the dust settle and see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, I like it. I like the lineups. Uh, we're kind of in a new era of fishing. I don't know. There's a lot of tech. It's the first time people are putting their boats and equipment to the test. Things could go wrong. I feel like a lot of guys did do some pre-fishing at other lakes nearby to get accustomed to their new setups or just getting their boat going. Um, so we'll see if there's any malfunctions there that always bites somebody in the first event is getting that, that new boat bugaboo out of the way, you know, whatever. And, um, so, and so, yeah, I, who knows what, what could strike happen or happen. Something that also needs to be mentioned. We didn't even mention this early on, but, uh, Falcon Rods jumped on to be the sponsor of Drain the Lake this year. So uh, when you open up the Drain the Lake uh, tab on the Fantasy website, you'll see Luke Palmer pointing at you in every which direction, uh, which is a, a fond memory of mine because I shot that photo at uh, St. Clair. But like I said, thanks to Falcon <laughs> Rods for jumping on this. You probably this shot that uh, that one in the right corner as well of Santee. Santee. <laughs> yeah, it's me or Sego. I can't really remember, so I don't want to take credit for that one. But I know I took the pointing picture, so uh, obviously wanted to join or wanted to mention that. And uh, thank you for doing so. Falcon on board uh, with Train the Lake this year should be yes. Here, Rapolo Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing and Falcon Rods Drain the Lake. Excited about those kicking them off. Toledo Bend is here. Lake Fork is on the horizon, and boy, is the sun coming up! You know, it's right here. It's about to happen. Uh, so we're excited to start the year off. Um, glad you guys enjoy the podcast. We've had since me and Kyle have been busier than we've ever been the first month and a half of 2024. We've had so many people say like, "You guys are gonna do some episodes of the podcast." I'm like, "Wow, I didn't know y'all watched." So <laughs> heck yeah, we're let's we just do this. We could so. Slide under the radar, nobody would notice. They noticed. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they did. So thank you guys for uh, supporting us. Um, it's great knocking this one out. A little bit longer one, probably. I'll have to see. I think it's probably like an hour and a half, hour and 40 or something like that. Um, big one, but a good one. The Elite Series season's here. We're going to see all kinds of big fish get caught. Kyle, you're going to be out on the water. We're going to actually see each other again. I don't know if you can deal with seeing me in studio the other day. I saw you at Wachita two days in a row. We've been a podcast the day after Sunday, late Sunday night. We're doing this podcast. 
And then I'll see you Wednesday at the meeting, and then I'll hustle back to do live the next morning. Um, but it'll be a good time being down at Toledo. So um, for Ronnie Moore, that's Kyle Jesse. We will see you in the next episode of the Inside Bassmaster Podcast where we break down Toledo and how it went down, and we preview Fork and what's up next.